What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. First of all, I want to tell you guys how proud I am of you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for how hard you've worked. You've gone through a lot and all this adversity. And I can't begin to tell you how proud I am of you. Thank you for representing us so well. But tonight is about another guy. His first win. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I am joined by my friend and co-host Ben. Thanks Drew. Each episode we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I return to the mics as we react to the Indiana game, preview Nebraska's matchup against Rutgers, sample cider from Lincoln's Cerro Cider, and welcome the return of the Sportsman Sip with New Jersey's Referend Beer Blendery. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walkons. So, Drew, we are in rarefied air. We are able to talk about this episode, the very first victory of the Mickey Joseph era. How does it feel? It's incredible. I'm li- I'm living on this energy. Yeah. Um, it's so it feels so good, um, especially with how fucking shitty the Big Ten West is right now, <laughs> and the fact that we're in a six way tie for first. Um, it feels like all stars are aligning. At least for one week. I'm so happy with social media. Like this, this to me is like the ideal reason that social media exists is there's a six way tie in the Big Ten West and there's everyone posting like the Undertaker gifts where Mm. he's rising from the grave where it's like Nebraska has a tie for the Big Ten West (laughs) and then it's the rise of that. And then I'm getting to see all of the celebration videos from all the different angles and seeing how much this win meant to so many people, so many, so many grown professional men on that Nebraska staff, from Mickey Joseph to Bill Bush to Trev Alberts, seeing all of that. You guys heard that in our introduction. I mean, it just it it it's yeah, it's just one win, but it feels like a hurdle that needed to get taken over. Yeah, a weight being lifted off. I can't yeah. even imagine what what just joy 
they had to have felt from you know finally making it um how does it feel for you that it's indiana (laughs) so fucking good oh my god i i don't know what i i mean i know what it is i i can't stand this team and um and i knew it was going to be you know a a hard-fought game and it was yeah um and it was it was sloppy at times but the fact that they that they pulled away late and took control late in that game and fucking beat Indiana. Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. there is a really so good, good feeling about when a game just gets taken over. We were mm-hmm. like, there's just no hope. Yeah. We'll we'll obviously talk about it when we react to it, but there was a key moment for me in that game that I was like, okay, Indiana doesn't think they're gonna win. And that was when uh I think it was like late in the third quarter, our defensive line was getting a great push. And Basilak just turned his back thinking he was going to get sacked. And the announcers were like, I think he just closed his eyes and thought he was going <laughs> to get taken down. And then he turned around. I think he completed a pass. But it was still where he was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think we got him. I think we got him scared. We got him shook. Yeah. And then you see like guys running downfield and Garrett Nelson's tracking for him. And they're like, I'm just going to go out of bounds. I'm not going to deal with this. Right. This ain't yeah. worth it. They don't want to get hit anymore. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you shed any tears last night? Were there any well welling up in your eyes or anything like that? I, I wouldn't take it to that extreme. Well, I mean, it's you know. Yeah, no, me neither. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it felt it just felt good, and it feels good. And it's um, I remember like after North Dakota, you know, that win, I I fabricated a lot of my own happiness out of that yeah. one. Um, this one was just a good. This one was real. And I think, and I think it was probably real for the the players and the coaches, sure. and the, the and just the whole the whole administration, all of them, yeah, everybody. As much of a fight as North Dakota put up, and that's a that's a great FCS team. That's that's an awesome team um, in in those ranks, and someone who you can absolutely look at and respect. It's a different ballgame when you beat an FBS team, one that you lost to the last time you faced, one that you know had more success recently in the Big Ten than you did. Um, I don't say you yourself. I mean Nebraska, obviously. <laughs> Drew's had nothing but great success. Undefeated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> never, never <laughs> lost a game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, it does feel different. It feels like there's some definite hope to the season, and, and it was just so refreshing to see that this team is still fighting. Yeah. Right? I think Tom Chattel had an article where he said, you know, Nebraska's a team of fighters now, and, and the fighter won. Like, that, that fight made the difference yeah well they always have i feel like they've never been a team this group has never been a team to give up i always feel like they were always in it you're always fighting and uh, again with those all those close games i don't i don't think the team ever just like gave up on a on a game um but, but i think this is the first time where like you accept it if they do right like you're like you know what Th- this is kind of the I get it at this point. Oh, they yeah, they absolutely could have, and it would, and you could yeah, you could put all those pieces together and say yeah, that makes sense that this team would just. And I don't think anyone would it. shame them for it. I I still think fans would turn out. I still think well, you just made a face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be a little upset if they just. I, it's. I I don't even know in. that I'd be upset. I'd be like, I get it. You're college students. You're young. These young adults who are just like put through so much shit, and they're just like, we've had enough. It's That's true. Been such a long. Yeah, you know they've got the COVID year, so they've been there for like eighteen years themselves. It's like <laughs> right. they have families, man. Like they're putting their kids through college now, <laughs> playing alongside their own. Sons. It's like Ken Griffey and Ken Griffey Jr., yeah. <laughs> but in college football. Well, before we dive into more specifics about Indiana, we have a job to do on this podcast, and that is to highlight some local craft breweries that are a part of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. And I decided to throw a bit of a curveball uh, today, and and. Within the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, there's not just breweries, there's also cideries. 
the way that Nebraska distribution and the liquor sales and things like that are set up, cider is treated more like a beer, less like a wine. In some states, it differs back and forth on the distribution on that. But with Nebraska, cideries fit more in with the beer profile. And as I was searching the local liquor store to find what kind of brewery we could hit up for this episode, I came across a beer from Cerro Cider. Uh, I guess I came across a cider from Cerro Cider, not a beer. You know, it drinks like a beer. It does drink like yeah. a beer. And we'll talk about that specifically, but I want to give you a little brief history on Cerro Cider. So Cerro's founding brewer, Matt, began brewing cider in 2011, shortly after being diagnosed as a celiac. Such a severe allergy to all things gluten meant an, ed, an end to Matt's self-described illustrious beer drinking career. But a man destined for greatness can't be held down for long. Fast forward five years to the moment where Matt convinced his wife to make a business out of hard cider. From there, Cerro Cider was born. Now, Cerro Cider draws their inspiration from travel and exploration. In fact, travel and discovery is what has led to the dynamic flavor profiles in their cider offerings. Whether camping in a U.S. national park, backpacking through Europe, or sitting on your favorite beach, travel is always a great opportunity to meet new people, learn different cultures, and experience new food and drink. It is from these travels Cerro has found the inspiration for ciders like jalapeno cider, botanical cider, and the cider we're going to try today, which is dry cider, dry citrus cider. Now, Drew, this is usually the point in the profile where I sense you wanted to know how they named their company. And Cerro named their cidery for the Samson Roth British Passenger Plane. So Samson with the S-A, Roth with the R-O, British Passenger Plane. That was the first to land on water. It took to air, land, and sea. The first passenger, and I don't think you're a fan of flying, are you? Uh, not at all. So this would be like your nightmare yeah. plane. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah, are we getting close to that body of water? In water, good lord! Like there's no no worse place. And to not land. like one of those, you know, puddle hoppers, those little, little like beaver planes that are like just a single person or two people. Like this yeah. is a passenger plane. That's like why are that's there's like thirty <laughs> of us? Why are we now? It's a cruise. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so. Sarah was impressed with the plane's versatility, just like their cider's ability to be versatile. And that's where they draw that inspiration from. Okay. Now, that's a, a brief introduction to Sarah Cider. So in the spirit of exploration and going places, I thought we could try something new while also still featuring a member of the NCBG, of which Sarah is an active and ever-present member. So the cider that we're drinking today, like I said, is a dry citrus cider. It has four ingredients. Apple juice, yeast, citrus... Orange peel, I think, is the citrus that it has, and hops. So it has a beer profile to it, but it's also a cider. Drew, what do you think about this this slightly unusual drink for what we normally have on the show? I'm very delighted by this. Awesome. This was it. Yeah, you surprised me with this one. Um, I, I was assuming I was coming in uh, to drink some beer today. Um, but like I said, this does drink like a beer. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice, dry, snappy, refreshing beverage yeah um i don't normally drink ciders i'm not a i'm not a big fan of apples just in general i didn't know that about um, you yeah yeah I th- so how do you like them apples <laughs> <laughs> these apples are wonderful um yeah it's it's very enjoyable it's just it's a nice just refreshing drink um you know they they label it as like a, as a summer drinker i think it also fits in with the fall as we're transitioning into that you know the halloween um you know time of year and so I, I like this one. Great. I like it a lot. This it's actually might encourage me to um, explore the world of ciders, at least what, what Sarah's offering. Yeah. I'm a big fan of ciders. I think they have okay. a, a great spot in any lineup. They're, they're a nice kind of change up. My mm-hmm. wife's a big fan of them as well. So I'll occasionally pick up a six pack of cider and we'll share those over a few meals 
uh, during the week. And I'm a big fan of dry ciders, which this tends to be a little bit less sweet. And you get to taste more of those flavor profiles, right? right. You're not over, uh, overwhelmed by the sugar content. That's, that's what normally scares me away from it is that sweetness. And I'd imagine there's some tartness, too, that doesn't really hit your palate. Yeah, yeah. If it, yeah. If it bites too hard on the tart, you kind of pucker up on it, and, and you're, almost, you're almost afraid of taking that next drink. Sure. Um, but this one has a really good balance to it and very smooth. Um, there's nothing about it that is, is off-putting yeah. in that sense. Yeah, so just a it, really nice, refreshing drink to have on a somewhat warm, somewhat cool fall afternoon. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm going to look at more into Cerro here. Yeah, so there you go. If you get a chance, Cerro has both a uh, tap room in Lincoln and in Omaha, and you can find their ciders distributed all across the state. Uh, I would encourage you to go get out and try them. This, this dry citrus is fantastic, but again, I, I'd be a fan to try like the botanical and the jalapeno to see kind of how those play off as well. A little heat with the sweetness, I think, would go really well, That would too. be a really interesting combination, yeah. and yeah, and that is uh, the hot, and the hot, the tart, the sweet, all of it together could be really great. Those were all my nicknames throughout well, college. Yeah. <laughs> hot, hot, tart, tart and sweet. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll continue to enjoy these ciders, but let's, let's dig into the main course, and that is talking about this Indiana-Nebraska football game, and Drew, I'm going to... What did you do? Did you just kick something over again? Did you spill water? No, I didn't spill. I was going to say, did you spill it over the area where you spilled cider? You could clean it up. Making such a mess today. (laughs) Oh, Lord. All right. So, Nebraska, Indiana. Nebraska walks away with the win 35-21 at home against Tom Allen and the Indiana Hoosiers. Man, it feels good. So good. Did you watch Tom Allen's uh, presser after? I haven't. I heard he was he was pretty upset. Oh, he's miserable, and it's great. <laughs> I guess before we get into specifics, I, I had a few big takeaways because I did watch it. Like, I was waiting for Indiana to post it. Okay. There's three takeaways that I have. Number one, I didn't realize how much I appreciate Nebraska's uh, professionalism during press conferences when they were trying to zoom in certain Indiana reporters and they're yelling at laptops. Like, they're literally yelling at screens of laptops like, are you there? Whose turn is it to talk? It's mine. No, it's yours. Go ahead. Sorry, sir. Like, it's all this just <laughs> chaos. And I can only imagine, like, Tom Allen's up way past his bedtime and he's just getting, <laughs> just getting like, damn it, somebody just asked me a question. Yes. So he was getting yeah. a little bit antsy. And you know how his eyes get real beady during these pressers, and he's already fired up like he is on the sideline where his leg's shaking and kicking out and stuff. It's just an angry little thing. He reminds me of anger from in and out Yeah. Like he just yeah. <laughs> boiled over. Um, and I'm not entirely convinced that Tom Allen's not two of his running ba- backs in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's one thing. It's okay. just completely – it just was a shit show. Two um, – he was not very complimentary of Nebraska. He, wow. he basically okay. came out and said, like, they just did not execute. It was a lot of drop balls. It was a lot of missed assignments. It was a lot of this. And it wasn't so much Nebraska beat them. They beat themselves. Okay, so Nebraska sucks, but Indiana sucks more? <laughs> Is that what he was saying? No, they, it's, like, it's like we just had an off night after last week when we also had an, an off night. Okay, yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those yeah. off seasons. Yeah. Just, one of those off just, programs. But he was, he was, like, just very aggressive in okay. his in his inability to say we came out against a, a, a decent team yeah he did go out and say that they do have a lot of talent on that other team but he never named nebraska that was also pretty funny he never came out and said nebraska he said the opponent fuel or, fuel yeah. for this rivalry oh, i'm man. telling you it's gonna become something <laughs> so he 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 very minimally mentioned that we beat them it was more they beat themselves okay um but then my my final piece that uh, i absolutely loved was 
Let's see. I got to find my notes because I just forgot. Oh, um, he basically came out and said that Nebraska cheated because they had a bye week. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. He, he came out and goes, he said something along the lines of, well, they did have two weeks to prepare. And then I was like, wait a second. Their head coach is in his third week. We just replaced our defensive coordinator. We came off of a whooping against Oklahoma. This Who team has looked like shit since. Yeah, this team could, like we talked about, for all intents and purposes, give up. Yeah. And instead they refocused. And if you listen to anything that the coaches had to say, I would imagine the opposing staff watches Nebraska's press conferences in case something slips or something comes out that might give them insight. We weren't focused on Indiana the first week of the bye week. We were focused on just getting our fucking house in order. Right. And so I just thought that was funny where they were like, that's that's what bye weeks are. Like, yeah, you have two weeks, but there's also like added rest and recovery and stuff like that. Yeah. Tom Allen, like, get over it. It happens, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, that was a fun presser. I enjoyed it. I'm going to have to I'll go back. and It watch was that worth one staying just up. To- like, his, his pressers are always pretty good. Yeah. Because he's always worked up one way or another. He is. I can't stand listening to I his know. voice. Uh, and and yeah. When they showed him on the sidelines after uh, the Purdy fumble touchdown, and he was so excited, but like when he was yelling, his leg was up in the air, and he was like kicking with <laughs> excitement. It's like, man, how do these players take him seriously? I, yeah, I don't know. It's fun to talk trash the day after That's a game. So <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, oh, so man. let's get into the specifics. Where do you want to start? Nebraska's offense, Nebraska's defense, overall. Th- where where, where I, do you want to take us? I'll 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 start with my I got miscellaneous notes on top. So over, okay. these are overall impressions, things that really stood out to me. Um, I really like seeing Mickey and Whipple on the sidelines coaching their players. Yeah, chewing on guys when they made mistakes, um, sitting guys when they made mistakes, coaching them up. But you know you know you saw that that sort of that firm hand. Um, just so refreshing. Yeah. So refreshing to see. Um, Trev Albers also on the sideline late, um, you know, being a part of this, you know, this process um, was really cool to see. You, you like to see that buy-in, obviously, from your AD for your interim coach, win or lose. Um, Mickey getting the game ball, that post-celebration, the post-game celebration was incredible. That energy, um, just the energy that the team has, the the love they have for, for the guys that are here. Um, both ways, coaches to players, players to coaches. I think that's that's been very much needed. Yeah, um, and it's cool to see. So uh, that, that, to jump on that, that's where yeah. my emotion came from after the game. Right, is like all of that is there, and it feels like that's been missing. And you you think what was it missing because of the last head coach, or was it missing because we didn't have the players who were bought into that sort of thing? Or again, they could have just given all this up, and they didn't. They chose to respond in the complete opposite direction and it kind of just took some of my uh cynicism and just it made it dissolve and it just felt so good to like have that release yeah when it was good to like not hear about culture but just see it yeah yeah like you shouldn't have to comment on culture yeah it should not be a fucking five-year conversation right it has been and now it's like they don't i don't i don't remember hearing the word culture but you just see it it's just no. there now like but, you know they ask Nikki that quite a bit in pressers they're like so what do you do to keep these guys in check he's like you compliment them you take care of them you give them feedback like what the, you what just, the fuck else do you yeah, do you treat them like humans a, and you be a, just a coach yeah. like a good a good person and a good you coach show up on time <laughs> <laughs> you you pay attention during the game right. <laughs> not out there doing fucking pilates <laughs> um anyway but so game specific i also enjoyed the fact that this was a toss-up game, 
you know, at halftime and even beyond. It was a toss-up game. Nebraska's defense showed up and made stops when they needed too late. Yep. The offense had that nice dagger play where they, they hit the 70-yard the pass oh. to Palmer. Beautiful. To, How sweet it to, was. To, to capture that momentum. And then they came back and had that 12-play, six-minute drive to where they, they you know, grind it out yep. and, and put it away. Yeah, it was a, it was such a it, for an inconsistent night on offense. It was still nice to see them be able to do both the quick quick attack, but also that like maintain that possess. It was just it was a it was a good job I think on both sides of the ball late, um, where they they executed how they needed to in that moment yeah. to take control of the game. How about that as a response from Casey Thompson to be benched in the what mid second quarter? Yeah. And then to come back to not only lead the team to keep throwing the ball, to have a better completion ratio than Basilak, who's, you know, a high percentage passer, mm-hmm. but then to also lead this team to victory when, when it mattered most. And not just to do that from his own arm, but to also go to his coaches and be like, hey, here's where Grant's struggling. Hey, here's where other guys are struggling too. I'm seeing this as well. And to be that vocal leader when he could have just sat back and pouted. And again, you think, well, shit. Is is it really the players or is it the coach? You know what is it? Yeah, yeah, and one and and as I was watching this game, you're, you're looking at his numbers. His numbers look good throughout the game. There were some there were some lulls there where his passing numbers dipped. Um, he he didn't. I don't think this was anywhere close to his best game. No, and and he had like he was putting balls in places that were difficult to catch. Um, receivers were adjusting to it a lot of the time to make those plays. Um, but yeah, but again, yeah, coming on late that you know dropping that dime. He he hit Palmer exactly where he needed to on that pass, and yeah. so yeah, that sticking with it, um, you know that that he demonstrated there, I think, was huge, and he's going to have better games moving forward. I think. Oh yeah, so. yeah, I think I think he earned some trust and some respect, and um, like you said, it was kind of nice to see your quarterback not making plays and and hearing about it on the sideline, mm-hmm. and it, it was nice because as a as a viewer, you're thinking, man, he's missing guys who are open when the pocket's there and that's why he's getting these sacks is because there's it's like a coverage sack but the guys are open yeah right like why aren't yeah. we releasing the ball what's going on and then to have him go out to the sideline and just whipple just yeah i think he was getting chewed out for like he took a sack on third down yeah that he shouldn't have well and he had he had palmer streaking across the field mm-hmm. you know the guy who matt mullen says is not fast <laughs> yeah. was wide open downfield <laughs> yeah oh man if i'd never have to hear a game called by that dude again yeah yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but that's so. Those are my overall, I guess, impressions. Yeah, of that. Did you have anything? Um, I mean, anything I think I think I touched into? on a lot of my overalls by just kind of like railroading the conversation right out of the gate. So yeah. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> let me let me check real quick. Um, yeah, you talked about the post game celebration. Uh, the one that I don't think got mentioned was Bill Bush with his family on the field. I don't oh, know if you yeah. caught that video. Yeah, I saw that video. Man, very cool. You know, th- there was like a uh, it's like a sinking of the Titanic kind of feel. And, and, and I mean that in a positive way and I just stay with me. Hold <laughs> okay. on, hold on. Wow. Hang, hang on where he couldn't, he couldn't hug his family tight enough, right? Like each he had, I don't know if that's all of his kids, his wife, extended family, who that is, but everyone was surrounding him on the field and he was just reaching arm over arm, trying to pull everyone close. And you could just tell how big of a moment this was for him. And, and, you know, you, you look at it and, and I preach this a lot that like, we've got to respect these young men who are on this field and who are giving their all and who are putting their bodies on the line for our entertainment. And you know, they're representing our state and they're doing all this, but you forget that like Mickey Joseph and Bill Bush and Trev Alberts are still equally as passionate about this thing that they've devoted their life to. 
And these wins mean just as much to them, if not more, because they have that perspective of the 55 years that they've been trying to just get to this point in their career. Right. And and for Bill Bush to be a local, to be a Nebraskan, and to work his way to this spot on a, on a short notice to coach <laughs> this team up where they pitched a shutout in the second half, like mm-hmm. – Man, if that doesn't feel good for him, I don't know what will in life. And and so I, it was just so nice to see that and like to see that he wanted his people close. You know, it wasn't the moment wasn't about him. The moment was like just he's probably thanking all these people who supported him through this entire journey with with that big hug. Yeah, all those all the sacrifices made yeah. um, and all that. And we like, we talked about that last week when we uh found out mid episode that Shenanders <laughs> Janander was gone. Um, I, I hope mid-episode we find out that Brian Ferentz got a contract extension. <laughs> <laughs> like, let that be the breaking news. Oh, man. But we, we touched on, you know, the, the family aspect of it. And, and this is the other side of the coin. The, the um, you know, the guys that are, are successful, like, they're still sacrifice, you know, yeah. from, from them and from the people that are close to them. And so, yeah, I'm, I hope that they, they're all able to really cherish this moment. Again, it's like it's... I feel like we're talking about like a big, you know, they beat Indiana, um, but it, but it, but the context around it, yeah. I think, really elevates. That's that's what it is. I'm going to push back because you know when we were golfing yesterday, we were talking about we could see this being a one and eleven season. So each win feels moment, like feels like a big monument to this team and mm-hmm. and to what they've gone through. And so I think you're right. Context is huge here. That no, we're not here talking that Nebraska just won the Big Ten West or won the national championship or made the playoff or anything like that, but. I don't know. Like we've been we've been looking for hope for so long, and I kind of gave up on searching for it. And then this game brought it back. Like it's not so much that this team's going to run the table and we're going to win every single game from here on out through the rest of the season. You might be feeling that way. I'm just saying they're in control of their own destiny. It could happen. <laughs> <laughs> like you're you're not wrong. It's on the table. It's on the table. But we've got leadership in place now who is willing to make difficult decisions and to stand by those decisions and not look at the result as as the reason to change but who's making the best decision in the moment and you know how important that is to me that that people are making smart decisions and the results irrelevant mm-hmm. like that's where all this emotion comes from and this excitement is it, it, it feels like finally okay we've got the puzzle pieces in place to start to figure things out i don't think we got the puzzle places in to to win the big 10 west you know Again, feel free to disagree. I looked up flights to Indiana. I'm not crazy, you know. I wanted to see what it would cost to fly to Indianapolis on December second. Fly curious. back December fourth. Yeah. I mean, I'm not crazy, but <laughs> I'm a realist. You got you got refundable tickets, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not. I mean, I had a, I had a trip to Chicago canceled uh, last weekend, mm-hmm. and so I've got Southwest Rapid Rewards points, and Southwest flies Omaha to Indiana, and you know, <laughs> okay. I could see, you know, one plus one makes two, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, th- those are my overall thoughts, but. Nice. Gosh, it just feels good to win. That's another overall thought. It feels, it feels fantastic. And like yeah. I said, yeah, like it's not, this isn't a fabricated happiness. It's just a, it's a good, feel great. It's a good victory. Yeah. Good. It's all good. All right. Okay. So let's, so do you want to talk player, player specific? Yeah, let's talk about specifics. Okay. You, um, you lead. I've all been, right. I've been flapping I, my jaw. Um, so we'll get into the offense here and what they what Nebraska did um, against Indiana. Uh, Trey Palmer had his first 100 plus yard game receiving. Nuts, which is crazy to me. I saw that and I'm very surprised by that. Um, I know he didn't he didn't do a ton at LSU, but it, for some reason I had it in my mind that he had a big game already 
um, for Nebraska. Like, you know, he would have cleared that hurdle. Um, he's not fast. That's why. He's not fast enough. Yeah. Yeah, according to Matt Mullen, he's just not a fast guy. He's not going to beat you with his speed. Um, But Whipple, Whipple's offense is designed to really hammer in on, like, like one receiver. And so we've seen with, with Nebraska, they've got a lot of different guys. So it can be a different guy game to game. So that's a little bit different than what, you know, Whipple did at Pitt where he was just hitting, you know, one guy throughout a season. So Palmer had his game. That was cool to see. Um. Anthony Grant broke 100 yards, and somehow, <laughs> I have no idea, he he found a way. Um, they were not easy to come by. No. But he continues, I will just never not be impressed by this dude. Um, the one thing that I took note of as far as the running back room goes, though, is I think that as the season progresses, I think we're going to miss A.J. Allen more and more. Okay. Um, I can buy into that I, a little bit. Er, yeah, Irvin and, and Yant both had, you know, had some run. Um, Irvin's a good a good back I, yeah. like I, re- I really think he is um and and Yant is good in certain situations but it but AJ Allen still I feel like he has that that one intangible like that special element about him yeah. um for a number two guy behind Grant that that combo just was working so well yeah that um a, as we get into the, the, the west I think not having him there I think we're gonna feel that yeah, there's there's a lot of teams that could have AJ Allen be their number one guy. Right? Yeah, uh, we just happen to have Anthony Grant in front of him. Mm-hmm. If Anthony Grant was not there, AJ Allen would be your number one. And unfortunately, with the injury, he's he's not able to play through the rest of the season. But I think Gabe Irvin comes out with fire every time. He comes out with energy and he's ready to make something happen. And you can see the frustration when he gets tripped up or when someone gets a, a tackle on him that he knows had that not happened, it would have been a big run. And yeah, I I like guys who feel that way about their ability who who go into it with that confidence there's there's few positions on the field where I think confidence is key and, and running back is one of them right you got to feel like these guys can't bring me down yes no one can yeah and and the, seeing the frustration on on a guy like Gabe Irvin's face when he's like he's a big dude and you know he gets tripped up and he's like oh, I was gonna murder someone <laughs> yeah I was gonna just run someone over and for what it's worth I'm not knocking him like I actually it I, sounds like it. I know it Gabe does. Irvin is getting called out by you and <laughs> <laughs> he's one of he he was one of my favorite running backs. Um, he still is. But bef- before Anthony Grant came along, like he was the guy that I had in the back of my mind. Like, okay, yep. he's gonna if he can come back from his injury, um, he can be really special again because he showed he showed that early on in his career. Here. Um, and I think he will. He'll continue to develop. I, I it's just again I I think that AJ Allen was showing certain flashes. Yeah, absolutely. That that we will just miss. And and Gabe Irvin might might um provide that. You know, moving forward, it's just I don't know if he needs he needs better rhythm or more run if, he, if what it is. But one yeah. of the things that I really liked about this game, it goes kind of in line with that, is I'm starting to see the evolution of the offensive line. Right, that they're starting to hit a, more than they miss. That they're starting to get much better in pass protection. There's obviously some breakdowns that took place when Casey got sacked a few times, but for the most part, they held up really well. And I think that as play progresses and they start to find the right mix of guys. You know, they're, they're not worried about who's been here the longest, and, and Mickey's just playing the guys who play the best. You're getting, like, Hunter Anthony in there. Yeah. You know, you're mixing up the way that the line's built. I think that's going to lend itself to guys like Gabe Irvin getting better because an Anthony Grant makes people miss at the line of scrimmage. He, he can kind of juke them out of their shoes. Gabe Irvin's a little bit more downhill mm-hmm. trying to hit those holes and just accelerate. And so I think as that offensive line meshes, hopefully, uh, with this new kind of coaching staff in place – you're going to see some runners emerge 
hopefully like a Gabe Bourbon or, or a Jacques Yant, and 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 that will improve. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm I'm glad you brought up the offensive line is like um, improving and seeing like there were some really there were some good breakdowns. Well, there, there were some, yeah there oh, were, no, <laughs> no, we're going there were both there was no early especially early on yeah you saw a lot of really great pass protection um, and so, late you saw that and that's that to me is what stood out right is like when the game mattered when the game was on the line the offensive line held yeah yeah and and yeah there, there were the miscues where you know you know a tackler got whatever they missed their their guy but then they didn't communicate the running back you know they it was a it was a just a miscommunication sure um and you hope they can shore that up but when they're on they were they were fine and um again like seeing guys if they made a mistake getting pulled plugging a new guy give this guy his, his opportunity seeing that um just maybe i don't know, light a fire under him to yep. let him know like hey your name your your rating out of high school your experience your starts like they don't matter if sure. you're not playing up to snuff so that was good to see um certainly so cool what are what other uh, offensive specifics do you have um we talked about casey thompson already uh how, how did you how did you feel about casey specifically being benched i have that as a question for you i'm just curious how you i know you've you mentioned a lot like guys not performing and then getting benched and being coached up how how did that decision sit with you, like in the moment, and then maybe Monday morning quarterbacking it? Uh, that was well, that was weird because I, like, I didn't I thought he was injured, you know. When when Purdy came in, I was like, oh, I guess he, you know. And they showed him and he's taping up his hand. I was like, maybe he got hit or you know dinged up. Um, the the fiasco that ensued probably completely changes your perspective on it. Yeah. Um, it makes it harder to judge. I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'm fine with you know Purdy was brought in to compete for this job. Yep. With Casey, and if Casey's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, um, put Purdy in. Uh, he didn't make a great decision when he, you know, he should have just taken the, the sack. But also, he didn't have the protection in that moment either. Yeah, so, I mean, he should have stepped up in the pocket, too. When you're on the goal it, line, you can't really fade back. You've got to step up and, yeah. and protect it on that front. It was just a, it was a, in hindsight, it's like, I, I don't know, Do you, do you should you bench your starting quarterback when your back's against the wall like that? I don't know. It was I don't, showing faith in Purdy. Maybe that's what they want to do, show confidence in a guy who, where you your confidence then is proved misplaced. It was just a messy, I would, messy. I would argue that even further than showing confidence in Purdy, it shows confidence in Thompson that he's going to respond. I think Mickey Joseph looks at mm-hmm. that and goes, I know what kind of guy I got at quarterback. I've known him my entire life. He needs to see that this team needs him in this exact moment. That mm-hmm. I can't I can't put someone else in this spot. I need you to be in there. But I'm going to take you out because for whatever reason you're not performing up to what I know you're capable of. Right. He Thompson again could have just you know shuffled off to Buffalo and just not worried about the game. Um but instead he came back and he responded. And and it was the fire that I think that Thompson needed to be the quarterback we needed on Saturday. Yeah. Um I liked the decision. Uh, regardless of of why it was made, because of that exact reason, I think it it turned around. Thompson's like, no, I want to be the guy in there. Yeah, Let well, me be and, the guy. and honestly, like, I guess if looking at it even further, it signals to the team that nobody is above poor play. Anybody can get benched at any well, yeah, time. And we're we're watching each and every one of you. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's each and every one of you matter. Yeah, it's not like, oh, why did that happen? It's like, no, we got eyes on all of you, and if you're not performing. You're you're not playing, and if you are performing, you're playing. Like it's it's yeah, it's two halves of the same coin. Yeah. 
Cool. So how about the defense? Oh, you know what? I do have one more thing I want to throw out yeah. on offense. I don't know if we've talked a whole lot about Oliver Martin on this podcast in a positive light because he has had some struggles. Yeah. He had the best game as a Husker yesterday. Caught every ball thrown his way. Yeah. Made smart decisions on special teams. Had a big touchdown. Had a big reception to get us within the five-yard line on another touchdown drive. I thought Oliver Martin played great, and I, I wanted to throw that out there, nice. too. That there was a lot of stuff that he did that put us in position to win. Yeah, I had, I had, I had at one point written down some notes about wide receivers that I just got rid of because I, like, I don't know <laughs> I don't know why but um they showed they, they're showing that they have depth there yeah like um Isaiah was out this game um you know Trey Palmer obviously had a massive game nobody really had a big game behind him but um Oliver did have a very important game yeah. very important catches and yeah he proved to be very reliable I think as the number two guy in the passing game yeah so so defensively, Drew, what did you see on Saturday that Nebraska put out that jumped out at you? A fine product. Yeah. A, a serviceable, more than serviceable defense. I was very impressed. Um, you know, this is Bill Bush's first first game as a D, D coordinator. Um, I think having the extra the extra week to get shit together definitely helped. Yeah. Um, a lot of fresh faces. You yeah. Know, Malcolm Hartzog. Yeah. Was that's the first name that jumps to mind? Yeah, um, on that side of the ball, Ty Robinson is the other guy oh, that man. had a monster game. Um, I think, and and with a guy like Robinson, if he's having a big game, the uh, everybody else along that line and throughout the defense is going to have a a good game. Yeah. They're going to be able to to you know get in the backfield as well. Yeah. So, um, the I like the man to man coverage that they did this time with a team like Indiana. Um, who who likes to run that up tempo and do the high high uh, completion passes? Um, they could have picked this defense apart earlier this year, and instead, guys were right there on top of their receivers. They were knocking balls out of hands. Um, it was just it was just refreshing to see that style of defense being played um, and being played well. Yeah, I I have three main takeaways. Okay. First, I'm going to tell you my favorite stat. Do you know how many missed tackles Nebraska averaged in our first? I don't. I don't want to know. I'm a. I, a lot. Like a lot more than I want to. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the number is 13.25. Okay. Missed tackles. A lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Do you know how many Nebraska had? How many missed tackles Nebraska had in Bill Bush's debut as defensive coordinator? I'm gonna. I mean, it had to be a few, right? So four. Six. Six? Okay. Six. Yeah. Cut that number in half. Cut the average in more than half. Awesome. Which I think is incredibly impressive. And and that that to me is like, okay, that's that's a number where you have to be in the right place, but you also have to improve technique. Mm-hmm. And especially against a team that, again, is going to dink and dunk on you and you got to tackle them in open space. We did a good job tackling in open space. Isaac Gifford in particular got our only two tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that doesn't include sacks or anything at the line of scrimmage, but... He got two really big in-space tackles that just killed drives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was good to see him him there. It was This was the first game where our safeties weren't being called left and right, like their names, because yeah. guys weren't whiffing. They were getting to the, yeah. they were getting to the ball carrier. We, and we, weird out. how that happens when, when you have your defensive coordinator who was on a national championship team, and he coached safeties. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that weird how he gets to help out Travis Fisher? And then Travis Fisher's guys were more aggressive than you've seen. 
yeah. in a very long time. Yeah. That man coverage was great. I mean, guys were just in their face. I'm fine with a couple of pass interference calls if it's because you're right on a guy and because you're not giving him a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that that secondary played was my, my number two it thing. Was it was great. In a, in a really tightly called game, yeah. too. And they, but they were they were making a lot of clean a lot of clean oh. plays on there. Yeah, there so. were eight pass breakups. Mm-hmm. Eight, it's insane. That's absolutely insane. But the the best the best part of the game, the best moment in that game, was Luke Reimer just absolutely laying on the truck stick. Yes, I yeah. rewatched that highlight on the treadmill, and <laughs> I sweat more watching than I did running two miles. He okay. So let me let me tell you about this play, and I know you've seen it. You were watching the game. Of course you saw it. So the ball gets snapped, and he starts <laughs> running to his right. Uh-huh. He immediately picks up on the crossing route. I think Buford had the guy as well. Luke Reimer just stops. He doesn't move. He stops. The guy has the ball in his hand, and Luke Reimer just plants a foot and just puts a shoulder in him. It's yeah. not it, – that hit was so hard. But, <laughs> but all Luke Reimer had to do was – shift he didn't even like ha ah, god i'm getting so excited talking about this he just murdered the guy and all he did <laughs> all he did was just ah, like it was just like rah, yeah and and man and then he intercepted the ball like oh i'm getting so shook up talking about it because it's one of those plays where you're like this this is going to be a play on husker vision that we see for the next 20 years whenever we need it uh-huh. and the best part is like over the past however long we, we have a lot of these big plays that shift momentum, but then they're close games, so we wind up losing the game. And you see the highlight, and you're like, yeah, that's great, but we lost the game. This is a highlight from a game where we get to watch it over and over, forever and ever, amen, and it's just, we won. It so, like, you, you have all of the that good feeling that comes back, and, like, you just feel like a monster when it happens. Not to, I, don't, I think... Casey Thompson threw a pick on the very next play. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, we don't yeah, have yeah. We can forget. No, 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 no. Time will, no, no, no. Time will cure no, no, no. that. No, no, no. Yeah, it was, um, it was like the Oklahoma pick last year, though. It's a dumb interception because <laughs> yeah. it put you on the half yard line. This is true. So they um, made the mistake. <laughs> I just looked at that like, oh, okay. So we could have either gone three and out or we basically punted and got the ball at the half, half the yard line for Indiana. Yeah. No, I don't hate that decision, though that Casey made, right? That's what you're supposed to do after a turnover is turn around and take a take shot. It's shot. a it's a free possession. Yeah. So just take the shot. I don't hate it. Right? Like he was throwing to Palmer in the corner. Maybe should have gone for the back pylon instead of the front Could've pylon. Throw. But but I, I don't care. I don't hate it. Yeah. But we're not talking about it. we're focused on the oh, hit. Oh, so that good. hit. That was a nice hit. And oh. that was an example of and clean. What? Super clean. Yeah. Not leaving with the helmet shoulder. shoulders. Mm-hmm. That's and what he happens. Just put the guy on his back. I just when everybody has their assignment, it's yeah. taking care of it because they you had um you had guys that were on either side of that hit, and then Reimer was just plugging that hole yep. between his between yep. his other defenders. Yep. If you're there, you can make the play, and that's exactly what happened. So it was it was just all around beautiful. I know it's a good play when fans, friends of mine who are fans of other programs, text me and are like, "Are you watching the game live?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah." Wasn't that awesome? And they're like, yeah. And yeah. Then, then the immediate interception, they're like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but I was like, I don't care. Because that play will live on in infamy. Yeah. Like that. Oh. So anyways, nothing else mattered at that point. I was like, yeah, just win the game so that I can enjoy that. Yes. And I did. I rewatched that highlight too many times. Yeah. Then, no, then no Luke had another great pass breakup. Luke was everywhere. I mean, he's Luke. He looked a lot more 
just comfortable. Yeah. Again, because everything because everybody around him, I think, was playing. Well, he's got their his field general back. He's got Heinrich back. Mm-hmm. Bush simplified the defense. Yeah. Simplified the calls. Guys were in the right spot, so he could just play football. Yeah. And when he just plays football, good things happen. Yeah. What else about the defense? <laughs> Um, I did want to point out, and this is imp- important to note, Indiana was playing without their top two wide receivers. Excuses, excuses, so. Tom Allen. <laughs> um, it's it's just, I guess, this is more for me just to help rein in expectations moving forward. This was a great step in the right direction. Yep. Um, and that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I just feel like I have to point that out. It's it's worth noting, and I think that we've had the same thing happen. Like when we played Ohio State close in certain games, some of their top guys are out. Same thing with Oklahoma; like big guys are out. You know, it it, it does happen, and it does make for a different game. But that's football, and I don't care. Okay, <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I mean that's football. That's part of the game, right? It is, we didn't it have is Turner Corcoran because he bitch slapped a guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and that was oh yeah. So we never talked about that. But so, um. I mean, I'm fine with him calling the unsportsman like in that situation for okay. fucking hitting a guy. Whatever, like, yeah, probably shouldn't be swinging at dudes. Through his own actions, he ejected himself from the <laughs> he game. Ejected himself. <laughs> that was yeah. That was a weird phrasing. Um, the play before that, where he got called for the unsportsman, it wasn't even him. No, if you, I think but Trey he, Palmer was the guy that yeah. came in and knocked the. All Corcoran was doing was getting a guy off his quarterback who just got a face mask where they almost ripped his head off. Yeah, like he was just being a supportive offensive lineman. Yeah, that's that's ticky tack. That's not even ticky tack. Yeah, that was BS. Yeah, you can say bullshit. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be careful. I gotta. I don't want to like hit my quota yet. We're <laughs> we're not even into fucking Rutgers. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that was. But it. But. Mentally, like, okay, you just had the unsportsman. Like, um, your offensive line is already missing Prohaska, who's probably your best player. Uh, you're in a tight game. Don't let your emotions get you. Yeah. You know? And that's, but that was an example again of, of he went to the sideline and Mickey was in, always on him. Yeah. You know, chewing him out and coaching and sending him off. You know, the best part about that is not only was Mickey then chewing him out for a dumb mistake for all the reasons you just said, right? Like, if you're going to, pay a guy back don't do it immediately after that's like you know your guy gets hit with a pitch and then you go out to the mound and you throw one it's it's Every, like yeah everyone's got their eyes on you right now yeah right but then after the game mickey said i listened to what he had to say he said it wasn't a punch we're going to review the tape and we're going to send it in if it's not right like not mm-hmm. only did he give the feedback but he also then listened to his guy and was like i'm still on your side you made a dumb mistake regardless of what happened you put yourself in that situation but doesn't mean I'm not on your side. Right. I'm here to help you learn. Yes. There's no infighting. There's no, he's, no. He gives his players the benefit of the doubt um, while still letting them have well, it. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like that's what a coach needs to do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like that's been proven to work time and time again. Yeah. And he employs that. It's incredible. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that's all I have to say about <laughs> Nebraska's defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I want to know how many people are like, it's open-handed. That doesn't count. <laughs> right. In Nebraska, that's not even a misdemeanor. <laughs> oh. 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 All right. Okay, so special teams. Uh, that deserves a shout-out, right? Yeah. First blocked punt return for a touchdown since 2009. Yeah. Um, and again with Hartzog being there, Kalerovic who got the got the block. Yeah. Um that was that was a Monster. that was a get up off your seat, 
moment. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Did, was that one of those plays that when you were watching it, it happened in slow motion? Because for me, the 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 defensive line or the, the pass block just, I was like, oh, my God. They're getting like it was one where I thought everything out before it. I was like, they're getting through real quick. There's a lot of guys. Oh, like, yeah. no, it's <laughs> yes, blocked. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was such a it was such a jailbreak. Yeah, there were so many guys back there that it was like, oh shit, like here we go. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even. Ah, oh, that was yeah. one of those plays where I just watched it and it felt like it was slow motion because I was able to process it so quick. And 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 the fact that Hartsong was there, yeah, waiting for the ball to come to him, like you you see him like. Just put his hands out like he's picking up a little kid. <laughs> yeah. know, like the ball bounces right into his mitts, and he's yeah. just like, "All right, here we go, taking off." Yeah, yeah. It was that was a that was a thing of beauty. It um, really was. Yeah. And the best part is, Mickey called that shot earlier in the week. He goes, "Special teams is going to score some points. Like special teams is going to make a play today, or like this week." Yeah. He called that shot, and I don't know if he thought it was going to be Trey because Trey had a nice return on the I was, punt. Yeah, that was yeah, that was another thing I wanted to talk about was Palmer's punt returns. Yeah, just in general, he he was um, he had a lot of nice returns, but he he feels like it feels like he's getting more comfortable, or maybe they're more comfortable with it now. Where it's like, okay, we've shored things up. Now you're going to be a weapon. Yeah, um, and he's and he's he's catching the ball and he's not taking off. He's he's reading the field. He's taking that just that moment. Yeah, just to okay, here's where everybody's at. Planning your route and take off. Yeah, the, the, the special teams with him being able to return the ball and where Nebraska had field position, even though they weren't scoring the ball, they were winning the field possession game. And so, again, this mm-hmm. is one of those moments where you're like, this is how important special teams is, is without this success, Indiana is threatening. They're not backed up with their backs against the wall. And you just wonder, again, with their, with their passing style, with their ability to score quick when they've got space to work with, what kind of damage could be done. And the special teams just made sure that Indiana was as far back as they could be Trey Palmer and Oliver Martin fielded those those punts really nice and clean. Yeah, uh, gave some attempts at, at nice returns, got some decent returns, and then yeah, we got a freaking special teams touchdown for the first time since Cody Green was a quarterback at Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the Big Twelve. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, on the other side of it, Bushini had he had some nice punts. He had some not so nice punts. There was mm-hmm. a little inconsistency there. Reassuring because he's been pretty solid on on the year. Not his best game, but still good enough. Yeah. So. And then the unsung hero of special teams is Brandon Frankie. The dude is automatic, puts the ball where you need it. He's got the leg for the touchback. And then when you want to try and have them return a ball and keep them short of the 25, Frankie goes out there and gets it done. Man. And he's a home he's a homegrown kid. So yeah. anytime I can shout out Brandon Frankie. I had this in my this was in my um, Rutgers notes looking ahead, but I'll just throw it out now. Uh, Nebraska's only allowed five kickoff returns all year for an average of 13.6 yards per mm. return, which is fifth in the nation. That's because we got we got a stud yeah. from Gretna. Yep. Good job, Brandon. boy. Well, that is the end of our Indiana recap. <laughs> Let's not even look at Rutgers. Let's just <laughs> let's just do that all over again. Let's just live in this moment. Well, yeah. before we talk about Rutgers, it's important to refresh. And we've we've normally got this little note section about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, but I'm going to go off script, Drew, and I encourage you to do the same. I'm going to have to now. You are, yeah, because I'm throwing you way off. October is Drink Local Month for the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Are you aware of that? Our partnership with the guild is not. A, <laughs> I don't know how to do. Not kidding. Um, yeah, no. October is drink local. 
So yeah. as as the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, our plug for the NCBG this week is just going to be drink local, guys. It is drink local month. The NCBG is really important, but so are these small businesses that provide Nebraska with beer. Yeah, and you you can hit up your local brewery, um, stop in there and get it on tap. Pick up if they have anything to anything canned up. Bring home a crowler, whatever. Uh, distribution is on its way up in yeah. the state. It is in the, heading in the right direction, so it's becoming more and more easy to find more and more uh, beer from all sorts of uh, breweries throughout the state. Just get out there and explore. Like find out what Nebraska breweries have to offer. It it will surprise you. It will, and it doesn't. You don't have to go fucking crazy. Like um, every brewer that we've met. No, like they know what Nebraskans like to drink. They know what, what uh, we're used to and, wh- and what we enjoy. They will do their own, you know, their fun stuff for the craft drinker uh, community. But they also are very good at at doing high quality, easy drinking, familiar styles of beer. Yeah, I could I could probably if if you force me to do it right now, I could rattle off at least five beers that I would give to someone who's like, I only drink Bush or Bud Light or Coors or whatever it happens to be. You've got Cosmic Eyes, Dead Man's Run. You've got Merlin's Cream Ale from Jukes. You've got Fairy Nectar from uh, Crossstrain, which is an IPA that would would satisfy most taste buds and be like, I didn't think I liked IPAs until I tried this. Yeah. And there's there's so many that are out there. You've got Tippy Cup from Crossstrain's another one of your, oh, like, yeah. hey, he said to try it. I didn't like it. it was like <laughs> right. this. But, I would say Copper Alt from Zipline is another, another really big great one. intro beer, yeah. Dear Old Nebraska Brew from Zipline is yep. another one that's that's highly satisfying. Um, Donna's Raspberry Pilsner oh, yeah. is another huge one from Divots. You can mm-hmm. find that one across the state now, thanks to distribution. Um, there's, there's so many that are out there that would not only appease the taste buds, but um, start to expand upon like, oh, these flavors are familiar, but this is even better. Yes. So get out there, drink local, and support not only the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, but all these small businesses that are really making great beer, making a great name for Nebraska. Putting their heart and soul into stuff that you will love. So now is the time for a return of, a, of an old feature that we had from last season that we're doing for the first time now. We decided to switch this up and only do this on away games because it's very hard to get beer from, from certain states. It is very hard. Specifically, Indiana really sucks at getting its beer. They to suck Nebraska. at a lot of things. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is the Sportsman Sip. And this week, in honor of New Jersey's own Rutgers University, we are sampling Credo, a Berlin Mesa from the Referend Beer Blendery in Cutstown, Pennsylvania. Did now, you say that faster? God <laughs> damn it. You might be questioning why we're drinking a Pennsylvania beer for a New Jersey team, and the answer is when this beer was bottled, the referend called New Jersey home. They have since moved to their new farm in Pennsylvania, but not the same farm my dad took our dog to many years ago. (laughs) Since 2016, the referend has produced beers using strictly spontaneous fermentation, sourcing yeast passively from the environment's open air, and actively sourcing locally grown grain and fruit. These wild beers developed on nature's own timeline with total production times ranging from nine months to five years and with bottles carrying uh, cellaring potentials of three to 50 years. Yeah, you go ahead. You could. Wow. I know. Isn't this wow. nuts? Yeah. Put simply, a Berliner Messe is a pale wheat beer brewed with aged hops and a high proportion of raw wheat, then spontaneously fermented and aged for months in oak barrels. Credo, the beer we're about to drink, is a blend of bottles ranging from the brewery's inception 
in 2016 to 2020 and spent an average of 27 months aging in both port punchins and second use conion and second use cognac pun- punchins. All these words are very hard. <laughs> the oldest components of this beer date back to 2016 or in Husker years, Mike Riley years ago. Oh man. There she is. There's the nice. open. Oh man. Go no, yeah, you can no, hit the button. I'm gonna hit pause. Yeah. And then we'll come back after we pour yeah. these out. And we're back after having poured and sampled a little bit of this beer. We needed some time to process. Trying to wrap my head around everything that's going on with this beer. And just just not to act like the referees from the Indiana game who didn't tell you who the penalty was on until like 14 <laughs> minutes after they called the flag. This is a great beer. This is very wonderful. This is one of those beers that definitely takes a palate, definitely takes familiarity with craft beer, with spontaneous fermentation. Cross-strain does a lot of this mm-hmm. with, with some of their uh, farmhouse ales and things like that where it's more of a wild ale. So this isn't something that I would give to someone who's like, I've never had craft beer before. Because they go, why are you giving me carbonated vinegar? <laughs> it does take a yeah. little getting used to on this front. And I think often this is sometimes misinterpreted as like a sour beer when it's not. Mm-hmm. When we opened the bottle, it smelled like all the smells you would get from a pumpkin patch. It smelled like hay. It smelled like fire, like uh, a bonfire. It smelled like kettles. It smelled like sweetness. It smelled mm-hmm. like all these different things. So a really powerful smell that differs drastically from the taste of the beer. Yeah, incredibly complex. Um, kind of drives your drives your mind in a hundred different directions yeah. on on what you're picking up on. Um, uh, you know, I'm this is a this is a weird episode for me drinking wise. Like these are like <laughs> things that are outside of my my normal you know wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, this is this beer I will say is pushing the my limit for that like very acidic tart beer and what I what I would normally enjoy. Um, there is so much complexity, like there's so much, so much to like sit and explore with every single drink. Um, the, the tartness isn't over the top, but it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely dominating, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, lingering there. Um, it feels like a natural fruit tartness though, as opposed to some sort of synthetic or some sort of forced tartness. It feels like it's naturally coming from like a cherry or some sort of like berry fruit in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when you, when you get hit with it, um, like yeah, the response isn't like a, an aversion to it. It is. It's that. It's like okay. It's it's. Let's sit and like think on this. You know, like let's sit yeah. and really taste it. Um, again, it's it's enjoyable. It's just it's so much, um. To wrap my head around. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I I which I I, I, I like don't have a, for an experience. I don't have a better answer than that. Like on what the flavor profile is. It's tart. Mm-hmm. It feels fruity. It doesn't give that kind of salivation in the back when you taste something sour it, it really is that differential between tart versus sour right you're, you're you're sensing those two differences and this falls more on that tart flavor profile um this is probably the most any podcast has ever said the word tart <laughs> except for like some sort of like victorian podcast talking about women who show their ankles <laughs> oh man i'm yeah i'm i'm glad you got a hold of this beer um I should also say, I think letting it sit out for about an hour and a half or so and come up a little bit more to temperature mm-hmm. takes away some of that sharpness as well. Because when stuff is cold and it's sour, like you, you're you're fighting then the temperature 
as well. So this is definitely a beer that you want to let come to like 55 degrees or something like that. Don't just let it come straight out of the fridge and drink it. Like let it w- open up. And I'm sure as it sits here in the air and starts to warm up a little bit too, because this is a sipper. It's not a slammer. Yeah. It's yeah. going to probably change and mellow out and, and we're going to experience some more. For sure. Yeah. And it's it's low. It's a 4% alcohol content. Um, and so normally when you think of a sipper, you're thinking like, okay, I'm gonna, I got 14% or that. But no, this is, yeah, this is one that... Um, even even as I'm drinking it, like I can still feel that, you know, in the stomach, I can feel the burning yeah. sensation from it. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to. I can sit here and pound this guy. Um, it would be doing a disservice to sure. the amount of time and effort I think that went into to the it. seven years that this beer <laughs> yeah. has gone in seven seconds. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, this is a good. This is a good one. This is a fun a fun beer to drink. Yeah, a fun beer for Nebraska's first true road test of the season. Yeah, for the first first matchup. So let's move into talking about Nebraska and Rutgers. And I've got just the facts for you, and then we'll dive right in. So on Friday, October 7th, Nebraska travels to Piscataway, New Jersey, to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Kickoff is scheduled for 6 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Rutgers sits at 3-2 and two on the season after a 49-10 loss to Ohio State. The Scarlet Knights are led by head coach Greg Schiano, who is 79-83 all-time in his two stints at Rutgers. The Huskers coming off a 50, 51. <laughs> it's a little bit stronger than 4%. <laughs> the Huskers coming off a 35-21 victory over Indiana are led by interim head coach Mickey Joseph, who is 1-1 one one all-time at Nebraska. Nebraska and Rutgers will meet for the sixth time on Friday with Nebraska holding the all-time advantage 5 to nothing. The score, the line, the spread was just set before we started recording this at 2.5 in favor of Nebraska. Any thoughts on that? I should probably pull. I threw a piece of paper um, aside, and these are all my notes for the game. <laughs> <laughs> so Nebraska's five and zero against Rutgers all time. I yep. know Ohio State's nine and zero against Rutgers all time. So that kind of puts us on equal footing with Ohio State in that regard. Any way you want to bend it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that Ohio State was at least a two and a half point favorite going into their game. Yeah. Um. I would I would safely say Ohio State covered. Yeah. 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 I'm sure the spread wasn't 39 and a half. It was (laughs) pretty close. They dominate Rutgers. Anyway, um, what do you want to, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Rutgers or something else? Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about Indiana. (laughs) Fucking. That Uh, one podcast you listened to for Indiana really really just set you in the wrong direction. Well, I feel like it set me in the right direction. Very hard against Indiana. You called that game. Before the season even started, before all the crazy, you were like, this is the game. Yeah, that was the one. And you know what it is? It's the game that's going to turn the tide on this entire season. So. It, I know there was a lot of people talking, not to dwell on Indiana. <laughs> a lot of people talking about how important that Indiana game was uh-huh. for Mickey and his staff and for this team. So you're absolutely right. Now, we're almost at the end of our 24-hour party. And then we have to move on. Focus we on don't have to. Nebraska, the players and the coaches, absolutely. The players we better be focused. Linger. Yeah. Um, no, I think Rutgers is going to be an important game, too. Is that a Cranberry song? It is. Linger? Yeah. It's a great song. I like the Cranberries. That's a good band. I do, I too. You know what else? You know what else is great about Cranberries? They're tart, like this beer. <laughs> Going back to Credo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go, let's, let's get into Rutgers. Why are we avoiding Rutgers? Yeah, okay. Um, this will be an important game. This is a, yeah. it's a, you're on a short week now. You, um, you just, you're coming off of a win. This is another team that, you know, they're, they're favorite. It's, it's a toss up. Um, as far as the spread goes. And I think that's probably fair, all things considered. Sure. But I don't think Rutgers has showed, or they, they haven't shown enough to um, 
be threatening, at least on the offensive side of the ball? I would argue the opposite of that. Okay. Solely because of context. Solely because of where Nebraska is with Bill Bush. Mm-hmm. He did have two weeks. I know that we wrote that off with Tom Allen saying that he had ample time to prepare for Indiana. This is going to be a real test for him as a defensive coordinator because Rutgers does do some interesting stuff on offense. When uh, Evan Simon is in, they're more of a pure passing team. When Wimsat's in, they're more of an RPO team. And so there is a lot to prepare for when it comes to Rutgers. Whether or not they do either of those well is another question, but they do have a lot of different looks that could potentially be challenging for the defense. Yeah, and I can see that. And they and and they're doing that because almost because they have to because yeah. of injuries. Sure. Um they they uh their offensive line is super inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It it can be good, but they're working with like almost all transfers on that on that front. They don't have a receiver that stands out. They don't have a running back that stands out again due to injury because of Aaron Young being out. Um their quarterback has been serviceable for being a third string guy. Um, Simon, he he's been great um, in that regard. But like, I don't know, man. Like, their only their only real great performance was against Wagner, yeah. you know, on that side of the ball. And if you exclude that, they they're averaging I think under two touchdowns a game, or right sure. around two touchdowns a game. So, um, this is I think this is just a this is a good team. This is a good test for for to see. Okay, you know, they they stopped Indiana who. And they and they forced Indiana to do stuff that they that Indiana was I think comfortable with right they made yeah. Indiana not look like Indiana's offense. Um, this is a good opportunity to show that though that improvement is real and sure. they, this is a good opportunity to take another step forward. Yeah. So that's what I'm I guess that's what I'm kind of counting on I think with with them simplifying the offense with this team yeah, they can throw a lot of looks at you but they don't have necessarily like a a guy that. Um, you feel like you have to eliminate from the game or shut down. And so it'll be another opportunity for the secondary to man up. It'll be an opportunity for the defensive line to be disruptive. Um, the The run game, they're going to have to definitely keep in control. But otherwise, I, I don't know. I like our I like our, our defense against this offense. I like the skill of our defense against the skill of the offense. And I anticipate nothing but you know, strong play calling and great preparation from Bill Bush. He's shown us that he is capable both in special teams and on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I don't not have faith in that happening, but it's football. Anything can happen. And so that, that to me is kind of the one um, question mark going into this game is how does the defense respond after having a great game uh, against Indiana? And, and I think that second half is incredibly important from Indiana to carry over into a short week where now they're relying on Bill Bush to continue leading them forward. So to me, that's the biggest question mark is, is can you be prepared for all the looks that Rutgers going to throw at you? And then can you just go good on good and say, our guys are better than your guys and step up and stop what they're trying to do. Rutgers is, a, is an offense that wants to hit you with the big plays. They're, they're a big strike team. They haven't had um, great success in doing that except for, like you said, the Wagner game, but that's what they want to get to. Mm-hmm. You can feel like Wimsat's the guy that they really want to evolve, but they're not, going to really threaten him getting injured uh because they, he might be the guy of next season he might be the guy that they want he's yeah he's their he's their future yeah Noah Vedra was supposed to be like the 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 veteran presence um but they've just yeah again like this is a team that's just depleted in general like across the board and quarterback's just that the main position that's um, been hit taking the Ohio State game out of the equation though this is a team that's constantly fighting this is a team that is trying to give you their best every single game and that's that's due to Shiano as a, as a leader so it's not 
to me, this isn't one of those games where I look at it and I go, man, this should be just a write-off. Rutgers is a team that's always going to play you well. They're always going to give you their everything. Uh, that's the way they're coached. That's the mentality they have. You, you talk or you hear people talk about these kids from New Jersey and surrounding areas. They've got a chip on their shoulder because New Jersey's not the pinnacle of college football. Uh, but these guys wind up going to Rutgers and they have something out there to prove. So this this game should be an interesting matchup. And, and I expect there to be a lot of punches thrown from the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I yeah. think I think a lot of I guess to me, a lot of their fight comes on their defensive side of the ball, sure. which we'll get into. Um, one of the one of the parts of the game that I think is going to be very important on both sides of the ball is going to be third down. Um, Rutgers is very bad. On third down on offense, Nebraska is very bad at third down on defense, and so uh, they looked great, obviously against Indiana. I think there were two. Indiana went like two of thirteen, I think, if I remember right. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if if Nebraska can keep keep Rutgers from converting, if they can, you know, get stops when they need to or put them in unfavorable positions, um, I think Rutgers is a little little one dimensional. They're gonna be they they lean more on their run game. Um, than their pass game, but so if we can get them to like force them into that that throwing situation, I think that we can have a good success there. Awesome, I'm I'm encouraged by Nebraska's third down defense from this this it, past game. It was like it that. was night and day difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, then let's talk about Rutgers defense. How, All right, how that matches up against Nebraska, and uh, are there things that jump out at you about that Rutgers defense? Um, they're, I mean, they're, they've been all around stout. So, you know, they're, they're top 20 rushing defense. They're top 30 in passing defense as far as yards per game go. Um, they've got six interceptions on the year, but their secondary has been hurting. They had a couple of key guys out against Ohio state. There's no, I haven't, I haven't found any updates as far as like, if those guys are going to be back. Um, that's Robert Longerbeam, Desmond Igben, Igbenison. Um, who's got the tough Ig- yeah. names and words now, <laughs> know, right? <laughs> Um, but so they've, they're again, like they, their strength going into this season was going to be their secondary and they, their secondary showing up, even these, they're, they're young too, as a, um, as a team, they're young, but they were stepping up. Um, and so now they've been hit with those injuries. And so, um, you know, Nebraska obviously likes to pass the ball a lot. And so that I think is going to be where their opportunity comes is, um, they're, they're going to want to run Anthony Grant. I think he's going to get some tough yardage, but I think Nebraska's going to have opportunities to make those big strike plays. Yeah. One of the things that just jumps off to me is in their first three games, Rutgers allowed only 97 yards rushing combined. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's a crazy stat regardless of who you're playing. I mean, you can accidentally get more yards than that. Right. And (laughs) so they do have a really stout run defense that you've got to work hard against. And so I like how Nebraska's offensive line is kind of emerging this is another game where they're going to be really tested, but if they can come together as a group and if Nebraska continues to push for the guy who's playing best in practice, who's earning that spot as opposed to these guys just deserve it for whatever reason, I think this is a game where maybe you can continue to see that evolution and see guys like a Gabe Irvin have more opportunity and more success when the offensive line starts to open up holes. Anthony Grant's going to get his yards because he's a pinball. He's, he's thrown in the washing machine and he just goes on spin cycle and just makes things happen which you love to see but I do think there's going to be a definite challenge for the offense against this against this unit and you look at it and you say okay well the defense uh, for Rutgers should be struggling in the secondary and that you're right they just haven't they haven't had those struggles especially being down key guys and so what, what I'm really encouraged by is you see a Mark Whipple 
evolve his style of play call to the Big Ten, and now he is running a little bit more to start to take control of games. And this might be the game that you really want to establish the run and start to make guys, make Rutgers focus on that. So that's what I see on the defense. I think we kind of align on that front where this is going to be a tough challenge for Nebraska, but one where ultimately you think we've got the better skill players against their defense. Yeah, it feels like a it feels like the right challenge at the right time. Yeah. Um just the way that everything lines up. Yeah. So Rut- this Rutgers game though getting away from the Xs and Os again just to reiterate, I really think and I really like their coaching attitude. I think Mickey's injected a very similar coaching attitude where it's like we're going to grind, we're going to be gritty, we're going to earn the hard points, the hard yards, the hard stops, all that. And Shiano's been injecting that in his team for a little bit longer than Mickey's had. Yeah. So uh, I, I really see a Rutgers team that's going to be out to prove something, and hopefully we go to 6-0 and against Rutgers all time. Um, but this isn't going to be just a pushover Rutgers unit. This is a, a team that really has the C word. They have culture, and they, they believe what they're out to do. Yeah, yeah. Special teams? We're, we probably have the same guy written down for special teams. I didn't put any names down, so oh if you have a name. I, well, I have Adam Corsack. I don't really try very hard when it comes to preparation. So, <laughs> who's tell me about Adam well, Corsack? He he's Rutgers punter, and he's okay. just a, a freak with the ball off his foot. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that's going to consistently average forty-five plus yards per season kicking the ball. He is up there with one of the best punters uh, in the country, let alone the Big Ten. I know we've got Brian Buschini on our side, but Rutgers is really good at flipping the field with their guy as well. He's consistent. He's been kicking for them for, I think, this is his fifth season. He's like a sixth-year senior. It's almost like cheating. Yeah, it's almost like having two weeks to prepare, right, Tom <laughs> Allen? <laughs> but look look for, if Rutgers stalls on offense, look for him to flip the field and make it even more difficult for Nebraska. This is going to be another field position game where special teams makes a huge impact. And so you hope Brian Buschini's in top form because we know that their guy is going to be. Yeah, and then I okay, so I, I I promise you I do actually do some research. Um, Rutgers and Adam Corsack as their punter have allowed you only <laughs> they've allowed only one punt return all year. Um, and that, for a touchdown, right? You're not talking about just general yards. Nope. I mean they they at one time one time one guy decided to try to return one punt in their what five games. Yeah. Um. Went for, okay? went for negative three yards, <laughs> so which believe it or not is second uh, in the country. So really? yeah, I think Army or Air Force, somebody one of the one of the military schools, same same situation for negative nice. ten. <laughs> so oh. they're they've got the solid lead there, but yeah. So um, he's obviously he's putting balls in places where the team just can't can't return it or they yeah. don't feel comfortable or their coverage is just that good, um, and so. That's again. That's something that um, you know we saw with Trey Palmer. He was starting to you know loosen up in that regard and um, trying to use the returns as a weapon. Nebraska is good um, overall as far as punt returns go. So that's going to be like a strength on strength, and we'll see who who's able to come away um, better than their than what would you would you would expect. Yeah. So. So I think we both kind of see this game as as a tough challenge for Nebraska. One that ultimately we have the players to achieve the win and and we just hope that the coaching rises to the occasion and we just continue to see the evolution of Mickey Joseph and his staff yeah we've got momentum I feel like on our side you know Rutgers coming off a loss to Ohio State they're used to that that's a beat down that I think they just kind of accept even honest though they're for real like even leading into the game um you know Greg Schiano talking about Ohio State it was like well you know if we're 
consistently perfect, we might win this game. <laughs> like he know, like they they know, right? Like they know. Um, so it's not like it's not like they're coming off of a tough loss or like you know like a surprising loss. Um, I think we're gonna get their best shot. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just a it's a weird context game, short week, long travel, Friday night, weird juju. Um, just it'll be a it'll be another another battle. Yeah. You ever been to Piscataway? Uh, no, no. I've been to New Jersey. I've been to Jersey City. Okay. Um, on Halloween actually. Oh, so that was yeah. That's exciting. Yep. I have been to Piscataway. Yep. I've never been back. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's time to share our predictions. Would you like to go? First or I'll go. All right. Yeah. All right. Mine is um here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska finds itself in a six way tie atop the West after ending a one year winless drought against FBS teams. With its next game against Rutgers on a Friday night, the Cornhuskers have an opportunity to take sole possession of the division, at least for one day. They also have a chance to show the defensive improvements under Mickey Joseph in the win against Indiana are real. After limiting the fast <laughs> after limiting the fastest offense in FBS to under 300 yards on just 67 plays, they will face off against a Scarlet Knights offense that only Brian Ferentz finds palatable. Some early gains on the ground from Rutgers running backs will have Husker Sturm... <laughs> This is stronger than 4%. <laughs> it was 4% before they fermented it. Yeah. Some early gains on the ground from Rutgers running backs will have Husker stomachs turning, but the defensive front will settle in. With the secondary manning up on an obsolete passing attack, guys like Nelson, Mathis, Robinson, and Reimer will start stuffing the stat sheet. A second quarter blitz on third and long will have Newsom flying in for the strip sack, and Nebraska will carry the momentum into halftime with a 14-6 lead. When all is said and done, Anthony Grant will battle out for 67 yards on 20 carries. An ugly stat line, uh, consistent with a tough outing for our makeshift offensive line against a solid Rutgers defense. But that run game is the springboard to not one, but two deep touchdowns against a depleted secondary with both Alante Brown and Trey Palmer speeding into the end zone. Nebraska leaves Piscataway with back-to-back -back conference wins for the first time since November of 2018. Nebraska 28, Rutgers 16. Oh, we're kind of close on our predictions. Okay. Nice. I almost said everything like you said verbatim. Did you? That'd no. be really crazy. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Could you just stumble in all the same places? <laughs> I like your prediction, though. Like I said, we're, we're, we're pretty close. Okay. So I might like yours. Let's find out. Okay. So while doing my scouting of Rutgers, I came across some interesting information that leads me to believe that this game is pretty much predetermined. Okay. So here we go. Wow. Rutgers is a team from Piscataway. Piscataway claims to be the home of the first national 4th of July celebration. Rutgers plays in the Big Ten East, 4th of July, 4th ranked team in the East, Indiana. Indiana is coached by Tom Allen. Tom Allen is one letter away from home improvement star Tim Allen. What team is trying to improve upon their home record? <laughs> Rutgers. What was the one letter difference from Tom Allen to Tim Allen? I. I don't think Rutgers is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska 27, Rutgers 21. Incredible. Need more convincing. Rutgers also has a campus in New Brunswick. New Brunswick was named after King George I, Duke of Brunswick. Duke's Mayo sponsors the Mayo Bowl, which takes place in Charlotte. 
North Carolina. The name Charlotte was popularized by the book Charlotte's Web, a story about a spider named Charlotte and a pig named Wilbur. Wilbur is a town in Nebraska known as the Czech capital of the U.S. Last time I checked, Rutgers was never beaten Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska, 27, <laughs> Rutgers, 21. Brilliant. The logic is airtight. It is so sound. Wow. It is so sound. Wow. No yeah. rebuttal. No. Nothing. Nope. I hear nothing. You know where I found that? Uh, on the back of the Declaration of Independence, I squeezed a little lemon juice on it, breathed on it with my breath, and it revealed everything to me. Magic. I'm it was all preordained. The, I'm going to steal Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It feels good to win. It does. Dude, everything is just, yeah, everything's just painted differently. Yeah. What do you say we wrap this episode up and let folks get on with whatever they're doing while they're listening to our show? Let's, I hope they're doing, I hope they're just sitting there focusing on what we have to say. I mean, that's, that's how I think most people listen is, is with their eyes closed in the dark yeah. while <laughs> sitting in one of those, uh. Those, what are they, those flotation pools where it, yeah. like, you can meditate? But like floating in Nebraska craft beer. Yeah. With a straw. Yeah. That sounds like a daydream. That's nice. All right, let's wrap it up. It's me. Oh, okay. Uh, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to call into the Wannabe Talk Ons hotline with your post. This is just a lost cause at this point. <laughs> Dial 402-427-0258 and be the first person to leave us a message. We've had one. Yeah, it kinda. Wasn't, kinda. It was ah. a smart-ass comment. Yeah. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Or you could call the hotline and leave your recommendation You could there. do that, too. Again, 402 402- <laughs> Four two seven zero two five eight. Join us next week by calling the hotline as, <laughs> as we react to Rutgers, preview the Purdue matchup, and sample more great craft beers from Nebraska and beyond. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.